0: And well met, traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wiggin. I'm one-third of the team at TumbleDye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to empower both players and game masters to level up the action, drama, and believability in their tabletop games, you can find out more at www.tumbledie.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at TumbleDie, or Instagram. In today's episode, I'd like to dive into an issue that I've been thinking about for a long time. It's come up at almost every table I've ever run or played at. I'm by no means the first person to raise this issue. I've seen the discussion before, though it's been long enough that I don't remember exactly where. You may have gotten a clue from the title of this episode. The truth is that there's a problem with charisma and to a lesser extent intelligence and wisdom to speak in the common tongue of tabletop RPG land. And it's one that I think goes unrecognized in a lot of places. Let's dig in, shall we? I think it would be entirely uncontroversial for me to state that the whole core concept of a tabletop role-playing game is to play a role. That is To inhabit, temporarily of course, the persona of someone who is very different from our real-life self. This may include some fantastic ancestry, descent from fey wood-dwellers who gaze with almond-shaped eyes upon a world that changes faster than they, or perhaps from hard-drinking, hard-fighting, bearded mountain-dwellers who for some reason all speak with Scottish accents, and have since long before John Rice davies gave us his delightful Gimli on screen. It may include crossing gender lines for those who have the courage. In many cases, it involves inhabiting a role of someone much stronger than our pasty, screen-addicted selves. Misters Vin Diesel, Travis Willingham, and Joe Manganiello accepted, of course. Or perhaps someone more agile, who can perform athletic and acrobatic feats that rival those of Olympians, the very best that Homo sapiens, or others, have to offer. With just a few rolls of the dice, these characters can perform feats of strength or agility that would astound us if we saw them live in the real world. But here's where things get weird. In the case of the other side of things, the dice only come out when there's a game mechanic involved. Need to make a spell attack? Okay, roll plus your intelligence. Want to spot something unseen? Well, you'd better roll wisdom, I guess, but uh, okay, fine. Want to distract the local town guards? Stand up and tell me exactly what you say to them, in front of all our friends, word for word. And it better be impressive, because otherwise, I'm not even going to let you roll. Ever encountered this at your table? I bet you have. Or, you may have encountered the opposite. One of the players at the table, so far playing a taciturn fighter who dumped charisma, suddenly stands up and gives an eloquent and rousing speech. No dice are rolled, and suddenly the entire town is on his side because his player is well-spoken. It's a subtle problem in a lot of ways. At a lot of tables, it just seems to pass by unnoticed. A strong storytelling GM, of course, wants his players invested in the game and the story. So if they suddenly start showing a real interest by speaking in character, the GM is, whether consciously or unconsciously, inclined to reward them for it. In the other direction, a player who is less likely to speak in character is somehow considered to be not roleplaying as well, and so they are encouraged to speak in their character's voice and on a funny and usually stereotypical accent in order to roleplay better. Funny accents and voices aren't the sum definition of roleplaying, though. In fact, they're only a small part of it, which has somehow over the years gotten blown way out of proportion. When we allow this thing to happen at our tables, we're actually harming roleplay. Because not only are less charismatic players now mechanically disadvantaged should they try to play a character with a high charisma score, but we render the numbers we so cherish utterly meaningless when all the player has to do is say something clever to bypass the game rules and get straight to what they want. Because there are so few rules in the common tongue about social interaction, Check out our previous episode, Right Story, Right Game, for more on this topic. The value of players taking initiative on their own is much higher. You wouldn't ask a player to go lift a boulder to prove that his character can do it, but that is precisely what you are doing when you ask a player to convince you of their argument through their words alone. You are asking the player to provide the skill to their character. And as we've discussed, the whole point of a role-playing game is that the player and the character are very different entities. This has some things in common with accessibility issues. And it's one that isn't actually present in the rules of many RPGs, just in their trappings and conventions. A socially awkward or shy player might come to your table, but they are likely to play a socially awkward or shy character. They don't want to get drawn into the charismatic roles, because they know they're going to be put on the spot and expected to perform feats of charisma in front of others, and so they just won't do it. These trappings and assumptions actually discourage some players from taking on certain roles, because they can't live up to the table's expectations of them. It limits role-playing for these players, keeps them from exploring different aspects of the game and certain kinds of lives, because they aren't like that in real life, A person not being able to roleplay something because they aren't like that in real life is pretty much the definition of insanity, right? This can happen with mental challenges, too. When it comes to puzzles, especially, these are often left up to the players to solve. Because why would it be fun if you could just roll dice to solve them, right? Well, there's a problem with puzzles, too, and it's related. Why is it fun to roll dice and solve physical challenges, but not mental ones? We don't expect our players to actually break down the door to prove that their 18-strength character can, but we do expect our player to solve the intricate rune puzzle we've concocted to prove that their 18-intelligence character can. Hopefully the crux of the issue is becoming clear. We play RPGs to get away from ourselves, to explore something new, to tell a story, and pretend to be something and someone that we're not. We roll dice to abstract away the fact that we can't do those things in real life. And yet when it comes to social interactions in-game, we expect everyone to be gregarious, talkative, happy, and apparently to have never experienced social anxiety. Personally, I love inhabiting characters' voices in real time. I love finding their voice and communicating with the other players using it. But I'm generally pretty self-confident and outgoing around other nerds, even if I am a major introvert. I don't mind looking silly, and I don't have much social anxiety. I love a chance to speak with the GM or a player in real time, having a discussion as other people, as though the characters were standing at the table in our places. It's easy to assume that our own experiences are universal. It would be easy for me to figure that everyone really wants to do what I do, and if they're not... They just don't quite feel comfortable enough. Maybe they need to be encouraged that it's okay, that this is a safe place, that if they just tried, maybe they would like it and enjoy it as much as I do. The fact is, though, that just isn't true. It is perfectly okay and acceptable to want to come to a tabletop RPG table and experience the story, but not speak in first person as your character. Maybe one player is a reader, who's read hundreds of books and really prefers third-person narration. They're just not that quick on their social feet, maybe, and so stringing together a stirring speech for their paladin just isn't something they have the skills for, but they'd still like to try playing one. They want to experience the feeling of making decisions for a persona, but not inhabiting that persona, and that is okay. There's a reason that not everyone is an actor, and there's a reason that not everyone likes to speak in their character's voice. Those reasons are the same, and it's because everyone is different. This doesn't sound like a grand pronouncement, and yet you'd be surprised at just how many people assume that everyone else is exactly like them. It's the reason we offer advice that worked for us when someone has a problem. Well, surely if this solved the problem for me, it would solve it for everyone, right? Except that that isn't true either. Every human brain has its own processes, its own ways of interpreting the world and going through things. What works for me probably won't work for you. If I were to explain my experiences and my process on a problem, it might point you in a direction to try. But the exact process I took to get there, especially when it comes to creative endeavors like role-playing, is not going to solve your problem. So there's the hypothesis. There's a problem at a lot, not all, gaming tables, where physical challenges are abstracted away behind dice and numbers on the character sheet. But mental and social challenges are often expected to be carried partially or entirely by the player, and the dice and numbers are rendered less important or entirely meaningless. How do I address this problem? I'll offer some of the solutions I've been using, right after the break. On July 23rd, I will be appearing on the How I Nerd Twitch channel for a live RPG roundtable discussion hosted by at Luna on Twitter and the How I Nerd Network. I'm really excited to chat with everyone who will be on that night, and I hope that some of you out there might just tune in. The discussion starts at 8pm Eastern on Thursday, July 23rd at twitch.tv slash How I Nerd, and I hope we'll see you there. welcome back. Okay, so, as I mentioned, some or all of these solutions might not work for you or your table. All I want to do here is outline my personal thinking on how we can tackle this issue where, in some systems, we are ignoring up to half of a character's numeric values because we, consciously or unconsciously, place higher value on the character during the physical aspects of the story, and more on the player during the mental and social aspects thereby implicitly limiting the types of roles that certain players can inhabit. Anyone can play a strong character, but only charismatic players can effectively play a charismatic character. With any luck, it'll point you, dear listener, in the direction of solutions for your own games and tables. In a way, this discussion ties more tightly than I had originally envisioned with the premise of our previous episode. I've spent basically this entire discussion in the language of D&D, because again, it's an easy shorthand. The problem we're talking about? I've primarily seen it at tables playing D&D, but then that's what I've spent most of my hours playing, or Pathfinder, but it's the same thing, guys. So that makes sense, right? This problem happens with D&D, I think, because of the same thing we talked about last week. D&D is a combat simulation, with some extra curtains hung on it. It doesn't do social interaction well. As I saw someone point out on the internet, Pathfinder has hundreds of feats and skills when it relates to combat, and social skills are tied up behind four entries on the character sheet bluff, diplomacy, intimidate, and arguably linguistics, and a handful of feats. I don't care what anyone tells you. There are almost no interesting rules in D&D 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 3rd and a half, 4th, or 5th editions, or Pathfinder 1st edition, that handle how to resolve social encounters or mental challenges. I haven't played Pathfinder 2nd Edition, so I can't speak to that one. So perhaps one painfully obvious solution to this problem is... play a different game? Right, that's not going to work for everybody, though. There are still going to be thousands or millions of people playing D&D, and so we need a way to help ensure that when we're playing it, that all potential roles are available and encouraged to all players so that even the quiet and socially anxious player with zero musical talent in the corner could write Bard on their character sheet, and have just as fulfilling an experience as the weak chubby guy, that'd be me, who wrote Barbarian on his. So the first thing I've been doing is to take a bit of the emphasis away from the players at the table and shift it toward the characters on their sheets. This means that when opportunities within the game come up for social interaction, I've started asking players to choose a skill and role first. Based on the result, if they wish, they are welcome to stand up and live play the outcome, a poor role getting them a withering stare or laugh down, and a great success receiving stirring applause, or whatever. This makes the live play totally optional. If the player is satisfied with their dice roll alone, I'll continue on with the story, explaining how their words impacted the NPCs that they are interacting with, for good or for ill. This is basically what I do for every other skill type as well. I don't allow the player to get up from the table and lift something heavy to convince me to give them a chance to do something within the framework of the game. Basically, social interactions and, to a lesser extent, puzzle solutions and in-game knowledge should be treated exactly the same as lifting something heavy. The player should roll the appropriate skill or attribute check, and the result should be applied to the story, whether that's in a live, acted-out scene, or just the way you describe them pushing a heavy item out of the way. For puzzles, things are a little different. Some groups and tables really get into puzzle solving, some others don't. I think an easy way to split the difference between a DM who likes puzzles and players who may not as much is to allow skill and attribute checks, particularly intelligence, to give hints to the solution. You can set a few different hints, a basic one at DC 10, a better one at 15, an even better one at 20, and a near solution at 25. The real trick to this one is, I provide the hint or information directly to the player. I'll have the player roll the check in secret, and then, if they get the hint, deliver it to them quietly in an aside, or in a whisper if you're playing online. I let the player bring the hint back to the table, and, if the hint allowed them to solve the puzzle, they get to tell the other players the solution. That way, the player is thoroughly engaged and gets the feeling of being the one to solve the puzzle, even if they got clued in by their character's skills and abilities. Because that's the goal, right? I want the player to get the experience of being someone else. I want them to get the feelings associated with knowing things they couldn't possibly know, impressing people they may not be able to in their mundane lives, and possessing and dispensing great wisdom, even if they don't have it themselves. To do that, I am trying to take the emphasis off of me, as the GM, always delivering every piece of information to the whole table, and empower the players to do it themselves. Let them be the brilliant ones, the wise ones, the charming ones, and also the strong and the quick and the hardy. Emphasize the character, because the player lives through them within the game, and to some extent, experiences what their character does. And of course, remember to find your own best solutions for this. But I really do suggest trying to find one, because I think that my games are better now that I've started doing these things. I hope that you find your own ways to empower your players, remove the barriers from roles in your games, and allow anyone to try on any hat they want to. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, or tweet us at TumbleDie. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, the interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm, all by VinceVept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash vinsvept. V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T Additional music by Andre Sitkov and Andy Ray. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wiggin. Oh god, is the world ending? I have to research a paper on Bosnia for tomorrow, but if the world's ending, I'm not going to bother. You can find Threat Eyes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.